welcome back to another episode of Everything Aviation Podcast. We have a fantastic guest for you today. I appreciate that this podcast can be very pilot heavy, but we have a guy who's at the pinnacle of his career today. This is Ben Kennedy, former Circus 4 and has done a tour of America with the Red Arrows. Ben, how are we? I'm very well, thank you. So ben, I have to ask, you, you know, where has your interest in, in aviation come from? Or it's partic- particularly the side of it where you wanted to be an engineer rather than, than flying in the RAF? Uh, so it all stems from a little boy. Um, all boys and girls like to play with Lego. Um, it's, you know, that's the thing you do. Um, and being a father now, I like to still play with it, which is great. So, and then all that stems on to a bit of technique as well. So moving parts and seeing how things work. And then as I got older, I started getting involved in radio control flying. So possibly a pilot wannabe, but not quite there. But also the building of them as well, that, that interests me a lot. And then, yeah, just went from there really. And then obviously going through school, thinking about your career, what you want to do when you're older. And it was a no brainer for me. Brilliant. I like that because I've been talking to quite a few people who have said that like at the end of school, they've always realised what they wanted to do. And I think even myself at the age of 18, been asked to, to make a decision that could basically carve a path in life for you. It's quite, it's quite a big thing to do. And I didn't even know what I wanted for my dinner that evening, never mind what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So it's great to hear someone who, who had decided at that point what they wanted to do. So Ben, how old were you when you uh, applied for the RAF? So I left school at 16. Um, and then I started the application pretty much straight away. It took roughly 18 months. So just just after my 18th birthday, I was in the RAF. How long was, was the training on for? Or, or can, can you tell us a bit about how your training went? Yeah, of course. Everyone obviously goes through their initial basic training, which is nine, 10 weeks at Holton of learning to be a soldier and basic core skills. And then your apprenticeship really starts as an engineer. Um, so I spent seven months at RAF Cosford near Wolverhampton, basically doing aircraft handling and, you know, general safety aspects of engineering, things like that. And then they send you out to a frontline squadron for anything up to 18 months uh, to just build up some uh, hand skills, uh, some on-the-job training before they send you back to Cosford again for another 18 months to do basically a technician course. So you're learning all about hydraulics, fuel systems, engines, everything you need to know about being a, a good technician. That's amazing. It seems like there's quite a lot of learning in there as well. There's a lot of academical stuff here. Wow. Because it's something many people say, oh, I'm a, I'm a technician or basically a mechanic or whatever. And um, you don't really think of all that side going into it. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a bit of a shock to me. I thought it'd just be a case of going and pick up a spanner out of the toolbox and away you go. But it's definitely not. A lot, lot more to it. That's, that's brilliant. And did you enjoy your, your kind of 18 months of, of frontline stuff as well that you did before you had to go on to do technician stuff? Uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I managed to go away with the squadron as well, to places like Spain and Belgium, uh, which sound glamorous, but it's still hard work. But no, it's it definitely a rewarding experience and certainly built up my hand skills, ready to go back to doing technician's course. And how long was the technician's course then for them for yourself? Uh, so it was probably 18 months. It was the 18 months as well? Yeah. That's a long training time. But obviously yeah. it, it pays off because you guys are the best of, of the best um, of, of, in what you do. Uh, yeah, so I won't go that far, but we're certainly up there with um, some very experienced engineers. It's, it, yeah, it, it seems it, definitely seems it, especially what, what you 
went on to do. Um, and if I, my understanding is you, you got to work on, on a, a legend that is the Tornado as well. Of course. Uh, so, although I wasn't on the squadron with Tornado, uh, I actually worked what's called second line. So it's uh, deep maintenance of components. So I worked with hydraulic components, fuel components, uh, and um, I had actually a quick fit fitter for a time, working in the tyre bay, changing the uh, tyres on the wheels, which is something that everyone has to experience in their life. I was going to say, it sounds a bit cooler than actually working for quick fit itself. Uh, yeah, it can be. And then, was there at any point, because... This, there's a bit here now that I know you went on to, to be circus, which for people who are listening, um, the circus team are the guys that fly around in the back of the Red Arrows jets uh, and are the personal, you're, you're assigned to a pilot for, for that year. At this point, is there anything crossing your mind that maybe you'd, you'd like to be part of, of the Red Arrows? So yeah, ever since I joined up in the RAF, I always had that ambition to work with the squadron, not so much flying the backseat, um, but just to be a part of it. When you qualify as a technician, uh, you can actually volunteer for the squadron, which is what I did. And then it's just a sit and wait uh, to see if you get picked for the team. Okay. Uh, for me, it took roughly six years from graduating before I got selected. And is there any kind of selection process at all, or is it just volunteer yourself? It's purely just volunteering. And also, uh, you have to have a recommendation on your uh, yearly assessment as well. Um, they, they won't just pick up anyone. They will scout out the high, you know, the high end of the quality, uh, just purely for what they do. Of course, and you, you can see it as well in, in the, the stuff that you guys are doing in documentaries and everything like that. You can see you're always something something busy, but it's that fine eye to detail and everything that, that you kind of need when, when you're working in that kind of environment. Yeah, especially being in the face of the public all the time. Yeah, everything's uh, scrutinised, I can imagine. And then, yeah, so, when, when did you find out that you had you were going to get a blue suit? So, November 2015, um, I got um, called into my boss's office and he basically said, look, I've got a post in here for RAF Scampton with the Red Arrows, do you fancy it? Obviously, in my head, I was like, yes, I'm going. But in my heart, my family was going through a bit of a tough time with uh, my wife's pregnancy. So I had to kind of put my family before my career at that stage. Uh, and I was like, look, now's not the time. You know, I've got a lot of other things going on. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, so I turned it down simply for my family. And then it, following the year, so January 16, I got called into my boss's office again. And he goes, um, right, how's your wife? How's your kid? And I was like, yeah, they're fine. And it's good because I've accepted the posting fee for the Red Arrows. You don't get offered this twice. Wow. Um, so I was like, well, looks like I'm going then, doesn't it? And he goes, I'm already packing your bags. <laughs> Amazing. How did you get a second offer if, if it doesn't happen? To be honest with you, I don't honestly know. I think when I turned it down, I think they just delayed it rather than postponed it. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, which is actually quite nice of them. Uh, they could have just turned around and said, no, you're not going. Simple as that. So that was quite nice. Brilliant. And how long was it from you been told your, your bags are being packed to you actually taking up a posting? So I got told in the January and then we moved, I've got to think now, it was April. So three months okay. I had. That was quite quick. Yeah, very quick. And was the excitement there from the very start and or, or did it build up as you got closer and closer to April? It's hard to tell. I mean, I was very excited to go, but I still had a job to do, so... 
I still had to remain, you know, professional to the team that I was working with. Um, but at the same time, it's very hard not to gloat that you're moving to something a lot better. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So when you get to Scampton, it's your first day there. What, what's it like? Do you, do you get? Are you told that you're going to be assigned a pilot at that stage? Or did you know you were going to be part of the circus team at that stage? So you don't actually find out until further on in your time on the Red Arrows. Uh, so uh, when I first got to the Red Arrows, they set you through a phase of training. And they also put you on what's called a second line aircraft. Um, so it's deep maintenance on an aircraft to basically they can see your hand skills. Uh, you can learn the jet in depth and it just builds up your confidence with the aircraft, basically. And I spent a couple of years working with the fleet. So doing sea off scenes, engineering tasks and obviously fault rectifications for the whole team. Um, but that's just purely in the hangar. And then in 2018 for the RAF 100, I actually got selected to do die team. Uh, so die team is obviously the team that follow the jets uh, around the country by road, and they'll pump the, the red, white, and blue into the uh, into the aircraft. Wow, that's um, quite a cool job. Uh, it was it was dirty. It's not a clean job, but it's quite cool to say that I did it for the RAF 100. So for obviously the lights of the Queen's birthday fly pass and things like that. I was actually involved in putting the smoke in those aircraft for that. Brilliant. And is there ever a tense moment um, when, when they, you're waiting for the smoke to come on for the fly passes? Is there ever a tense moment that it might be purple or, or you might have got them mixed up at all? We like to think the system is bulletproof. So when we put the pipes on the aircraft or indeed when we're filling the rig, we actually shout red, red, red three times or blue, blue, blue three times. And what we're doing is we're checking uh, the colour of the dye, the connection, and the input on the rig or the aircraft. But I'm not going to lie, when, you, when you're watching the, uh, the fly pass live on TV, you still have that element of doubt in your head thinking, please don't be purple. <laughs> brilliant. Has it ever happened to you? No, thankfully. No. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and then so at which point, because you, you, you moved around the team quite a bit, how many years did, have, had you been with the team at this stage before you actually got told you joined the circus? So up until the point of being selected for circus, I've done uh, nearly three and a half years on the team. So that's that's about average. So you spend a couple of years learning the aircraft, learning how the squadron work. Then you, uh, you do die team. Uh, and then roughly around your three, four year point, um, you will be, well, if you're good enough, you'll be selected for circus. Brilliant. And how, how did they tell you that, that you were getting selected? So it was actually uh, as part of a end of season hangar do. Okay. So obviously we're all fueled up with a few beers and stuff. But what they do is it, they actually get you all together, uh, a big group. They bring in the pilots for that following season. Uh, they all stand up in the line of the uh, number order. Uh, and then the senior engineer and officer of the squadron will basically just call out people's names of who's been selected for the following year. Oh, and wow. then once your name's called out, you go stand next to your pilot and introduce yourself, basically. Oh, brilliant. And did you have to apply for that, or is that just a thing that you just get selected for? So every year they put out a volunteers list for it, um, which naturally everyone puts a name down for it. And then the management will then sit down and sort through it all, who deserves it, who's good enough for it, and who's ticked all the boxes for it, basically. Once they've done that, they announce the team. That's so cool. You must have been delighted. I was pretty ecstatic, yeah. And I think the wife burst my eardrum when she found out. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's great to know as well that the support was there from, from home also. 
Yeah, yeah. And then, wait, because you guys have to fly in the back of a fast jet. Are you are you flown in the back of, of any fast jet at this stage? So no, uh, I've never flown in a fast jet in my whole life. Wow. Uh, I've been in I've been in like a Cessna and obviously a passenger airliners, um, but I've never been in anything with a an ejector seat strapped to my back end. Wow, wow, I'd say. So first of all, it must have been so, so cool to know that your first go in a fast jet was going to be red, one of the famous red jets. Um, and what, yeah. what was it like for you? Very nervy. Uh, so when I sat in the aircraft, as an engineer, we're told never to touch the yellow and black handle between your legs. Uh, so then when your pilot tells you to take the pin out of that seat, it's like, oh no, I don't like this. Yeah. Um, and obviously you don't want to drop that pin either because that can cause all, all sorts of issues as well. But no, once the engine just started and you lined up on the runway, that's when you really start to calm down. You know, this isn't a game, you know, embrace it, but be prepared for anything. Yeah. Um, so, but my pilot was really good. He taught me through everything he was doing in the front. Uh, I could see various bits as well, what he was doing. And yeah, it's just really reassuring. And then obviously once you get wheels up and you're airborne, that's it. There's no return. So you just have to go with it. And it was great fun. So, so cool. Absolutely brilliant. And was there, were you pinching yourself at any stage? Because are you, are you in the blue suit at this stage? Uh, no, so we're only in our green training suits at that time. Um, we don't we don't move to the blue suits until we've actually got a PDA. Oh, okay. So it'll be the same as the pilots when they get their, their red suits. Exactly that, yeah. Brilliant. And is there a point where you're pinching yourself, even though like you're sat there, you're looking out to your left and right, and there's this red wing just there? I must admit, I, I did think to myself, what am I doing? This is mad. Um, you know, because I'm used to keeping feet on the ground. I'm not used to being airborne especially in one of them things. But then I just thought to myself, hang on a minute, I've, I've deserved this, I've earned this, let's enjoy it. 100%. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. So you do your first flight, when is it again that you get to fly next? So after the first flight, uh, your next flight is actually flying out to um, Greece or Cyprus, no uh, depends on where the uh, Operation Springhawk is, which is their winter training, basically when they bring it all together. Brilliant. Uh, for the overseas training amazing that, that must have been really cool to take it take go down there but you guys have your own routine to learn as well don't you it's not just the pilots to have a routine you guys have a, have a routine as well yeah so we have the uh, the circus dance that we have to learn which when you're in front of a load of public it's actually quite embarrassing um <laughs> but once you're facing the aircraft you just blank what's going on behind you and you you're basically there for safety and you're looking for anything that's wrong with that aircraft, but in a rhythmed environment. So it doesn't look messy, basically. I mean, we're, ne we're never going to be the Americans because they go over the top, but yeah. it's still going to be very presentable. Um, we, we, we'll talk about the Americans because um, you, you you have to go on a, on the, on the tour. Um, but coming back to, to the to PDA, are you guys being assessed as well um, for your kind of circus dances as well as the, the pilots? Uh, yeah, so everyone from dieting, circus and pilots are being assessed at all times. And then we will have the uh, PDA high-ranking officer to come out to issue us PDA. And he, he won't turn up unless some, uh, the squadron thinks we're ready. Oh, so wow. people are always watching us to make sure that we're presentable before he even gets to us. Wow, I didn't know that now. That, that's quite, that adds on the pressure slightly. Yeah. 
<laughs> but then you've you've passed everything. You've got your blue suit. How does that feel? Uh, it's pretty mental. So in my career on the Reds, I did four four PDAs. Obviously, two is ground crew, one is die team, then one is circus. The one is circus is probably the most more memorable, just because the you know the journey I've been through in that last four years to where I am now. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just incredible. It it definitely sounds like you've had an amazing time, and you've definitely put the hard work in, and you weren't that that slot of where you were. Um, so this brings me on to, to like the next probably coolest thing that that you you've done, and that's how did you find out you were going on a tour of America? So I actually found well, we knew we were going to America before I found out it was circus. Oh, okay. Because um, obviously all the planning that goes ahead for that that size of tour, it's not it's not planned in six months. That's two years making. Oh, wow. uh, so we knew obviously we knew before the general public knew but we had to stay very quiet and like i say i didn't know that i'd be circus for it so just to be in america touring around america was you know going to be a highlight for me but to be in the back seat for it as well it's just incredible that's so cool and did you know at that stage you'd have a, a whole camera documentary crew following you we did have a, a slight inkling that we would have a documentary crew for, for a tour that big they're not going to let us go out there without being being filmed wow so even that was all in the public eye yeah it, it, like, like you were saying everything is in is in the public eye exactly that yeah uh you know within the military we tend to call people by uh nicknames and things like that um so we have to be very careful what we're calling people around cameras <laughs> brilliant <laughs> and what was it what was it like then going out to america because i think you guys flew out in an a400 rather than in the back of the jet so my journey to America uh, was a civilian flight to Inverness and then we got bussed across to RAF Lossiemouth so we could refuel the jets at Lossiemouth to send them on to Iceland. Once we had sent the, jet, the jets off, I jumped on an A400M from uh, Lossiemouth to uh, Keflavik in Iceland with an overnight stop there. And then the following day, we serviced the aircraft and they all went off to Greenland and then I actually jumped onto a Voyager and went straight out to uh, Halifax in Canada. And oh, wow. we had uh, a couple of days before we saw the Jets next because um, they obviously went to Greenland and do Spain, in Canada, and then come to us two days later. Wow. Uh, so there was obviously other teams in Greenland and um, Goose Bay to, to help us, basically, just for log logistics. And how was the, the overall trip for you? Like, what would be your, your best experience and stuff? So for the... The whole trip into America or uh, the journey out there? The America. Well, it's, it's America, you know. Everyone wants to go to America at some point in their life. But when we got told some of the sites that we were going to see, uh, so things like Niagara Falls, the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, Lewis Arch, Fine Pass, a Hollywood sign. You know, it's things that you can never even think of. Um, yeah. And we did it. Uh, you got to do I, I that from the back couple. of the jet, didn't you? Exactly that, yeah. We had the, the best view. You know, the pilots were in formation. They can't see nothing because they're focusing on what, uh, the formation. So we're actually getting the best view out of it all. And I, I do recall, actually, one of my friends on Facebook, he said to me, um, oh, did you go um, past the St. Louis Arch? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you didn't have the balls to fly through it, though, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Just a bit, of, a bit of joking around. Oh, of course you need it, don't you? It's, it's all part yeah. of the experience. 
because we, what we saw, we we seen it. I think it was Channel Five that was following you. So so we've seen the the kind of documentary thing, and everything looked absolutely amazing. I know there was a part where the jets flew up the Hudson River with uh, the Thunderbirds and F thirty fives and F twenty two as well, which was quite okay. cool. Um, but we also saw like the challenges you guys were faced with because there was one point where you you got down to a, a location and it was quite hot and all the jets had just decided the tires it was quite a, a small or a short flight and all the tires just decided to depressurize themselves. Yeah, so we were um, in the Rocky Mountains. So we took off from a Air Force Academy, flew into the Rocky Mountains, which was only about a twenty minute flight, give or take, and no one really anticipated what would happen being that we're so quite high up elevation-wise. So we all jumped out of the jets, walked away, uh, flight and things like that. And then as we're walking to other people, you just hear the tyres deflating. We're like, what on earth is going on here? And all it was is because the wheels are still hot from takeoff, they hadn't had a chance to cool down. And obviously the elevation as well is, is um, in the tyres are designed to deflate if they rush or they get too hot. Uh, so there's, there's little plugs in the tyres that actually will burst. So I think we lost about eight main wheels in total. Wow. Which for us circus is okay because obviously we'd been working all day. So we decided to just walk away and get some rest. But for the other engineers, they were left behind to change these main wheels. And they were not happy people. <laughs> I didn't realise you had the option to do that. I thought being attached to that jet, that everything to do with that jet was, was down to you. In normal circumstances, yes, but we had been working all day as it is. And obviously with the heat and things like that, you have to go through risk management. And we were the following day as well. We needed a good amount of rest uh, to fly the following day. And we had spare manpower with us uh, who were there to pick up any big jobs. So it was deemed that that was a, you know, quite a major job uh, and the risk was too high to keep us in. I don't know if it was as... as What's the dramatic as to what, what we saw was that was just the telly was was doing it, um, but it seemed uh, quite. Yeah, a... The telly's always going to make make it look interesting, you know, to keep people appealed. Yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> I'm not going to lie; it's the first time I've ever experienced that. It was quite funny, but quite daunting at the same time. Especially, yeah, yeah. Um, especially the day before, we had actually sent a load of main wheels back to the UK because we didn't think we'd need them. Oh no! <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was quite entertaining. <laughs> I can imagine so but apart from that everything else seemed to go without a hitch yeah we had a couple of technical issues along the way but nothing nothing that was deemed too major I mean a couple of jets got left behind here and there um, so one in Iceland one in Chicago but they they caught up with us and actually completed the tour with us so brilliant um, we, we actually did the whole tour with 12 aircraft and what was it like as well? Because you guys would have would have bumped into the American teams, the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds at some stage. What what was that like? Um, it was it was really good to experience um, other display teams and how they do things. I'm going to say we are very simple compared to how they do things. Uh, we go in, we get the job done, we go away. Whereas they seem to spend half the airport in to do to do their displays, um, which is quite quite weird. Yeah. Um, but then. But they're Nazi Americans. That's the way they do things. And it works, you know. One's oh, yeah. their own way of doing things that works. And was there a rivalry there at all? Was there, a, oh, we, we can do better than them at all? Or, or was it just... Uh, oh, so we, it. we did have a few jokes over some beers with the other teams. We were like, oh, well, you know, 
we can do this, we can do that. And, and they just basically try and shoot you down. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the comments we had was, what do you call your aircraft again? What are they? So that puts us on the back foot thinking, all right, fair enough. You've got well-known aircraft. We're, we're flying around little trainers. <laughs> but I still think the Red Arrows are the best best in the world when it when it comes down to that kind of dynamic flying. Uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty good at what they do. You you got to experience um, kind of a first half of a, a, a practice display as well, didn't you? Yeah, so on our final flight, Goose Bay, and for any other circus members on other years, as part of a thank you for that year, they'll get a first half display at Scampton. Obviously, because of how long they're away for uh, and their training programme when they got back and obviously some leave as well, there was no time for us to, to have a first half display. Okay. Um, so the pilots actually decided to do a little bit of playing uh, into Goose Bay. Um, wow. So we had some formation flying on the transit to Goose Bay. So we did, we did a few uh, iconic man uh, manoeuvres and being in uh, Circus 4 position, I'm on the right-hand side of every formation, so I can see all the other jets next to me. Wow. Uh, so the view is incredible. I've got some cracking pictures. But also with that flight as well, the Canadians wanted to give us a good send-off. So they had a couple of uh, F-18 aircraft in the air uh, conducting some uh, quick reaction alert training. Wow. Uh, and, and they saw us up on the radar and said, look, do you mind if we come and intercept you? They were like, come on, bring it on. We were, we were flying long straight and level and out of nowhere, two F-18s just come up onto our wingtips. Wow. And uh, show us what they've got, should we say. And that was, that, was, that was probably one of the best highlights of the tour. I was going to say, because you got to fly with many aircraft, I think, on, on that trip. Um, I think you also got to fly with a 747, would that be correct? That's correct, yeah. Uh, um, so the Mahave, Mahave Airport near, in California, we... We landed there to, uh, to do some PR there, and part of the PR was to form eight with the 747. Wow. Uh, so that's 747. So, yeah, I was uh, due for, to the fact that uh, Red 2 obviously went home for his baby. Red 4 moved into Red 2 position. So we were the first jet on the right-hand wingtip of wow. the 747. Which I'm not going to lie, if I put my hand out the cockpit, I could probably have touched the wingtip. We were that close. That's amazing. I was going to say, because it must look huge, because it looks big when you're not near it. So when you're flying right up beside it, it must just take up most of your view. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you can see a little bit of blue on the top, a little bit of desert underneath, but then you've, you're just faced with a complete white aircraft and that's your whole view. It's just insane. That's so cool. So what would you say was cooler, flying with the 7.4 or the F-18s? Oh, that's a tricky one. I'm always going to say the F-18s because they're just cool aircraft. <laughs> you don't see uh, them the often. Seven, the 747 was definitely uh, an experience um, never to forget. That's so cool. Wow. And so was when you got back from America, was that your last kind of tour on, on, the, uh, on the team? Uh, yeah, so when we got back to the UK, um, I went into a reserve role. So if any of the circus team actually went uh, man down, basically, for any, any flying, I'll be uh, in a position where I can replace them. Um, however, I also got offered another job in a on a different squadron about three months after I got back from America. And um, this was a job that was more location for me than it was the job. 
so I've actually moved a lot closer to my family. But the job itself is completely different. I'm instead of fixing live aircraft now, I'm now taking aircraft apart to put them on the back of a lorry uh, oh. and move them by road. So it's a completely different career change and one that I'm really embracing. Wow, that sounds like an awesome job. It can be. Obviously, moving operational helicopters around, that's that's good fun. But the not so glamorous parts is obviously we react to aircraft crashes as well. Mm. Uh, so we work alongside the AAIB. And once they've done all their investigating, we then go in and pick up all, all the wreckage. And obviously with that comes uh, blood and things like that as well. So, you know, you see both ends of the scale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not very nice. Well, I can imagine. I wouldn't, I'd take my hat off to you. I don't think it's a thing that I'd like to do myself just for that aspect of it. I've got quite a weak stomach, really. Yeah. Thankfully, we've not, had, we've not dealt with too many crashes recently. I think we've had four in the last year. Oh, that's not so that, too bad. Did you go in good. and rescue that Chinook when it was stuck in a, in a field? I wasn't personally involved, but my work colleagues uh, that went, yeah, they were having some fun, shall we say. I've got, oh, seen uh, the pictures, um, and it was it was quite, uh, it, it looked madness. I've never seen a Chinook sitting on its belly in a field just because it's so soft. Yeah, it, it's, it was a lot of hard work. There's a few bad backs on the squadron now, put it that way. <laughs> I was going to say, they're, they're, they're quite heavy, them things. Yeah, they had to dig out uh, dig out the wheels uh, and obviously it's craned out of the holes and then the metal matting that we use uh, as a platform they're not like bits of kit yeah it's, it was a very a very hard work uh, hard week at work should we say yeah um, but it got, it got but done in the end exactly and the aircraft's now recovered so it's a pat on the back for those guys really yeah brilliant bro really really well done because we were like I said it was in the news and everything we were kind of watching it and all of a sudden it just kind of popped out and that was it done dusted back in the air again and that, that was great to see yeah, when there's when there's aircraft that are stranded, especially in civilian territory, uh, although we trust who we live with, you can't have it in those areas for too long. Yeah. So we do react very quickly to get them recovered. It's brilliant to see as well. And like I said, it does. It's very very quick. It's like one minute. Oh look, it's a chinook in a the field. Then it's like, oh, where's it gone? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what are your plans for the future, Ben? What, what have, you, have you got anything planned, or what would you like or hope to do? So initially, my plan was. Uh, I only had a couple of years left in the Air Force, but obviously because of COVID, I've extended uh, for another four years, um, just as a safeguard, really. And in that time now, I've actually been promoted as well. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, congratulations. So, thank you. Um, so that's kind of opened up a whole new element to my career. So I'm very much in the balance at the moment, uh, but the chance I'm, I'll, I will stay and do my time. It's just a matter of where I'm going to be sent now, uh, which... Which is a little bit annoying because I've only just got to the place where I want to be to be told that I'm potentially going to be moved again. It's a little bit disheartening, but at the same time, it's a place where I want, a place where I want to be for career progression. Yeah. And do you get a choice in, in or even a kind of little say of where you want to go or what's next? Yeah, so we can, um, we have uh, preferences of where we want to be, but ultimately it comes down to service needs. So if they need someone at a certain place, uh, then unfortunately the services comes before your, uh, your your family basically. So you yeah. go where you, you're needed. Uh, but they will try and accommodate certain requirements if if you really have that um, need. Brilliant. And what what advice would you would you give to anyone say who any young person who's kind of looking at being an engineer in in the Royal Air Force at the moment? So I certainly say try, uh, do your best at school. 
if you want to be an engineer, especially in the Air Force, set your goal early. Because obviously the older you get, the more restricted you are. But yeah, set yourself a 10-year goal, where you want to be, and you know, just keep on that track. Don't don't be forced to divert or anything like that. Just try and keep focused. It is a long slog to get where I am now, but it's worth it. Every minute of it is worth it. And what has been your in your whole career, what has been your all-time favourite thing have to, to have done? So, hands down, it's it's definitely America. You know, that is a, a dream come true. Uh, I've done plenty of other things in my career. I can't name a lot of them because it's probably not operational safe or anything like that. But of course, we don't want to jeopardise uh, security or anything yeah, like that. So. But, um, no, certainly America was just, you know, the creme de la creme for me. That was Brilliant. amazing. Absolutely brilliant. That's so cool. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, best of luck for the future. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for talking to us.